This is a special bonus episode of Blind History. We're obviously in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, and people are talking about that quite a lot. So we thought we'd look into the history of plagues and epidemics and pandemics and find out what we already know from the way human beings dealt with this stuff in the past. With me, my co-host on Blind History, Anthony Medera. Hi, Ant. Okay, and you? You, you haven't got the plague yet, have you? So far, it seems like I've missed it, but it's, we're still in lockdown. <laughs> I hope you don't get the plague, because I, while I was researching all these stories around the things that have happened in history, it's frightening to see how many people have been mowed down by epidemics in the past. And they, of course, had no idea often what the cause of this was, where now we have something of a semblance of knowledge around what causes people to die in their droves. In those days, they thought it was sin, and they thought it was planetary alignments and all kinds of other stupid stuff, right? Yeah, apocalyptic events, and that's actually what grew Christianity so fast. That's right. When people are afraid, they're far more susceptible to propaganda and to messaging, and they're, they're more pliant. They, they do exactly what they're told, right? Yeah. Besides war, plague has been one of the biggest catalysts for change in the world. It was the demise of the Roman Empire. It's caused havoc across all centuries that we can actually see. Yeah, I looked at the 10 deadliest epidemics in history, and we can go into the detail of some of these in a moment. I know you've got a, a few that are your favorites, in inverted commas. The third cholera epidemic was in 1852 to 1860, and that one killed as many as 23,000 people in Britain alone. But those are small numbers because... The Asian flu pandemic not so long ago in the 1950s, that wiped out something like one to two million Chinese, another kind of virus that originated in China. Then there was typhus fever, which was in the world wars, and that was spread by lice. And according to the figures there, that was three million deaths in Russia alone. Frightening. Sure. Yes, then there was something called the Kokolitsli epidemic in 1576. That was about a million deaths in the territory of New Spain, which is current Mexico. And the symptoms were very much like Ebola, included a dark tongue, jaundice, and neck nodules. It's revolting. Yeah, it sounds horrible. The plague of Justinian, which you're going to tell us about in a moment, that was a deadly pandemic that affected the Eastern Roman Empire and especially Constantinople. We'll talk about that in a second, but that had some pretty terrifying symptoms as well. There was the Antonine Plague. Uh, that's named after you, right? Yes, that's me. Yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I was around then. <laughs> the historians suspect it could have been smallpox or measles. Took out two thousand people a day in Rome. The death toll tallied to about five million by the end of it. Horrible. Yeah, that's massive. The third plague pandemic of eighteen fifty-five. Now that one was also called the Modern Plague, even though it was in history. And it was a bubonic plague pandemic that started in, guess what country? China. Correct. Over the next 20 years, it spread to Hong Kong and port cities around the world by rats that carried the infectious fleas responsible for the disease. It caused 10 million deaths. And that was only 1855. Then, of course, the Black Death, which is my favorite one. The Great Plague, the Pestilence. It had a whole lot of names, and we'll get into those just now, too. But that originated in? Asia. Yeah, but be specific. China. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and spread all along trade routes to Constantinople in Europe, where it claimed 60% of the European population and completely wiped out many towns. 
There are two others that I quickly want to mention. The Great Flu Epidemic in 1918, which is also fascinating and, and maybe has some lessons in it for what we're dealing with today. That is recorded as the most devastating epidemic in history. A death toll somewhere between 20 and 40 million. Mm. Killed more people than World War One, huh? Sure. And that's when they had social distancing set up already. Right. Interestingly enough. Yeah, and we know how well that worked. But the HIV and AIDS global pandemic is worth a mention here too, because it's hard to determine exactly when and where it came about. But it is widely believed it originated in the Democratic Republic of the Congo around 1920. And the first cases were reported somewhere in the 1980s, 81, 82. And then um, it was called the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, and has since grown to pandemic proportions, resulting in an estimated 65 million infections and 25 million deaths. So there's one that we're living through now. And thanks to antiretrovirals, we've had some success in staying the death toll on this horrible pandemic, but it is one that we could not do this episode without mentioning. So you want to start with the ones in ancient history and particularly the one named after you and then the Justinian plagues. What, what were those all about? Well, first of all, there were Egyptian mummies that were exhumed and they found traces of smallpox, what they think is smallpox, on these mummies. I think it was 3000 BCE from 180 AD onwards was the start of the crumbling of the Roman Empire. And it was driven mainly by this particular plague, which they believe to be smallpox. And this plague came from uh, when they attacked Parthia. It was during the reign of Antonine Pius. The Roman army on the excursions in Parthia contracted this and they brought it back into Rome. And it actually was devastating how it destroyed the Roman army and then later on the population of Rome. And it created massive instability, which allowed the barbarians to take this opportunity to attack. Sure. The smallpox, until we developed a vaccine against it, took out the great and the good. Even emperors got taken out in ancient Rome. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius, he was on the Danube. He was involved in battles to, to keep the barbarians at bay. And he, he succumbed to smallpox or what they call the Antonine Plague. Yeah. And we always think that in antiquity and earlier times that people didn't live on top of one another. But it was actually hectic. If you looked as an example at Rome, they were so massively cramped together in small spaces and in very, very poor living conditions. And these type of plagues just mowed through the different communities. It was incredible how, how fast and how sick people got. And as an example, Antonine killed five million people. Yeah, because people think ancient Rome was this clean, lovely place, all polished marble and statues and wide avenues. But in the insulae, in the suburban areas, in the subura, as they called it, people did live on top of each other in tiny little apartments, kind of like the cities that we have today. If there's anything that history can teach us, it is that living in cities with very dense populations usually is a perfect breeding ground for all kinds of ugliness and pestilence and disease and bacteria and viruses. And especially where animals and humans are in close proximity together in unsanitary conditions, right? Yeah, 100%. To talk about the bubonic plague, if you want to get onto that one, because I've got a couple of things here to tell you. I mean, it had some horrible names. Uh, the Great Mortality. It was also called the Pestilence, which sounds really horrible. 75 to two. 100 million people. That's more than even communism managed to kill. 
That's incredible, right? That's frightening. <laughs> Mortality rate, 30 to 50% of the people who caught this bubonic plague died. So it's a lot more contagious and a lot more infectious, and the mortality rate's a lot higher. It started off in China. It started in 1338, by all records, ended in 1339. So it wasn't long. It was a year. And it wiped out half of Europe's population. In a year, there were bodies piling up on the streets. They did have body collectors who were busy 24-7 because there were so many people dying. And they would just they'd ring a bell outside and they'd have a cart and they just load body on top of body. And you weren't allowed to have a fancy burial. They just buried them in pits and then poured lime on them or set them on fire. And you just knew that your, your relatives who died during the Black Death were buried in some big pit. In fact, they keep finding Black Death graveyards in London where they were just pouring bodies on top of each other in a great big hole and just covering them up. Mm. Mostly you would know you had it when it was already too late. You would start breaking out in tumors, which they called buboes. They're these gross, big outgrowths that looked the size of an apple or an egg, depending on how bad, bad oh, it's yeah. gross. And they would explode and there'd be pus. And then there would be vomiting of blood. I mean, can you imagine if you're a medieval peasant and you see someone vomiting blood you think this is definitely god punishing people this is the devil has taken this person's soul right yeah it's caused by fleas on black rats but actually it's caused by a bacterium called yersinia pestis which lives in the fleas and the fleas live on the rats and the rats then live with the humans so it's actually four different creatures that are affected in this chain that couldn't be a, a worse Thought Ugh, it's gross of being bitten by one of these these fleas. Well, apparently, what happens is this Yersinia bacterium. It actually it blocks the flea's stomach, and then the flea starts to throw up, and it gets really hungry because it's blocked its stomach. So it gets very hungry and it starves. So it becomes quite aggressive, and then the flea throws up into the wound that it has made, either in a person or a rat spreading all of this bacterium into the person or the rat. Yeah. And it's so gross because this is how it multiplies. And then it, it spreads very easily from there on because the rats and the fleas become increasingly desperate for food. And then they make humans sick. And you know what happens after that. Mm. Gross, huh? And it's popped up again in other periods. Yeah, it, it came about again in the 17th century. And uh, people thought it had been defeated, but then it came around again. But one thing that you were amiss to point out now was that that's your um, lineage was heavily involved in the first Black Plague. <laughs> yeah, Edward III. <laughs> uh, King Edward III is supposed to have died from it. Certainly his son, the Black Prince, died of bubonic plague. And, you know, these were people who were the most powerful men in Europe at the time. So there was no way to defend yourself against it. And people tried different things to cure it, including trying to be happy and avoiding bad thoughts. So that didn't work. They drank good wine. <laughs> that didn't work. They avoided eating fruit, putting fragrant herbs in beverages, avoiding lechery. So there was much less sex. They weren't abusing the poor because if you, <laughs> if you abused the poor, they thought that your symptoms would worsen. Um, Eating and drinking in moderation, maintaining a household in accordance with a person's status and so on. And apparently it was brought to England by English soldiers who just returned from Crecy and Poitiers, the two battles that we've highlighted in an episode of Blind History so far. And they actually stopped the war, I think, if I remember correctly, or halted the war because it was just devastating. They reckon that the Black Death actually set Europe back 150 years. 
So we might have been 150 years further down the line if the Black Death had not occurred. But you know, that the, the way that they lived in those times, I mean, if you looked at somebody's skew, they'd just chop your head off. Well, so, <laughs> so maybe it's all, all relative. No, no, I mean, they would, in, in villages, we joke about this now, but in, in small villages where there was, you know, an old woman living on her own and suddenly the Black Death came to town, they would find this old woman and they'd accuse her of witchcraft and they'd burn her at the stake and then people would carry on dying and go, oh, oh well, I think we were wrong about that woman, but it's too late now. <laughs> yeah. Vlad the Impaler had the same discussion after he impaled half a million um, Turks. Yeah. Oh, I think we got that wrong. But eh. and, yeah. and if you want to really be grossed out, two of the things that they used to treat people during a number of these plagues, not just the Black Death, but even in the ancient world, they would feed people dung, horse dung, cow dung, sheep dung, even human dung. That was sure. one of the treatments. And urine. You'd have to drink a cup of urine, and uh, that would maybe maybe make you feel a bit better. <laughs> That's what doctors thought was a good sure. idea. How do you like that? Huh? <laughs> but maybe in in a hundred years from now, they're going to laugh at what we're doing for cures. Yeah, well, I'm 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 pretty sure that that we'll be laughed at for the way we've overreacted. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, and they did think that, they did think that bad smells could drive out the plague. So you know, some of those things, I, I still think. If someone smells bad, stay the hell away from them. They might just be carrying the pestilence. Yeah, enforced enforced uh, social distancing. Right. And and the second Black Death, I mean, London in 1665, there were thousands of people dying. And that plague, as if it wasn't bad enough, was eventually stopped because the Great Fire of London burnt everything down. And as a result, a lot of the rats were were killed in that fire or chased out of town and starved to death. That's actually one of the factors that contributed to the end of the plague of 1665. You know, I think if a massive fire like that could be a good thing, then in this particular instance, I think it was. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly devastating cure for, a, for an otherwise solvable yeah. problem. Uh, it did happen a lot more recently, though. It happened in the 1890s in the United States, especially in uh, San Francisco, because there were a lot of people from China and India who settled in the United States in San Francisco. And it was during that pandemic that the real cause was eventually discovered, the bacterium, the pestis bacterium, along with a cure. And that was when they started to make some serious progress. But I think, Gareth, it's frightening if you look at unsuspecting indigenous populations that the Europeans were engaging with. Definitely the Spanish, which had massive devastating effects, wiping out 90% of the indigenous population of the Americas, because they would bring the diseases like smallpox and the bubonic plague, the measles, all of those diseases they brought to the continent, and whereas the, the, their immune systems were not at all set up to try and cope with it. And it made taking over all of those countries and territories so much easier at the time because everybody was sick and died. The worst one of all in terms of numbers of people killed was the Spanish flu, unusually deadly influenza pandemic. That was from 1918 to 1920 and it infected 500 million people, which is a quarter of the world's population. The death toll seems to have been anywhere between 17 to 50 million possibly as high as 100 million. And to maintain morale, World War I censors minimized early reports of illness and mortality in Germany, a lot like what they did in Wuhan, where they said it's not a big deal. You can carry on traveling. 
even the World Health Organization said that. The UK, France, and the United States kept mostly mum about it. Newspapers were free to report the epidemic's effects in Spain, and that's how it became known as the Spanish flu. History and epidemiological data are inadequate to identify with certainty the geographic origin with varying views as to its location, but most influenza outbreaks disproportionately kill the very young and the very old. And the Spanish flu was bad because it resulted in a higher than expected mortality rate for young adults, precisely the people who were fighting in the war. But, you know, what they did mention was their immune systems were so low because they were living very close in proximity to each other, fighting the war and living in very wet conditions in trenches. And they said that that was the one of the reasons why the young as such were taken out so badly. Yeah, and this, of course, was caused by the H1N1 influenza virus. And if that sounds familiar, because the swine flu in 2009 was the same virus. But was that from a pig? Uh, I'm not a virologist, right? As I understand and what I've read in terms of the scientific literature around this, they said it came from a triple reassortment of bird, swine, and human flu viruses further combined with Eurasian pig flu virus. And if that doesn't sound gross to you, I don't know what is. And maybe it's worth referring to what worked besides quarantining in those days, going through all the periods of history. The people who survived often were the ones who just had stronger immune systems. That goes without saying. A lot of people who kept themselves cleaner did a little bit better than the ones who were filthy. And there's a wealth component to that as well. But people generally had no idea until very recently of what the origin of these diseases were. And and they had all kinds of theories. In fact, during the bubonic plague, people thought that Jupiter and Saturn had lined up in the heavens. And there was some kind of, what do they call them, a conjunction of the planets at that stage. And they blamed that for the outbreak of the bubonic plague, which is crazy, but... um, you know, when you don't have any answers, you jump to the next best conclusion. Yeah, and maybe it worked because maybe their minds were stronger than the, the disease. Yeah, I think some good ideas have come out of these plagues as well. I mean, when Europe was so depopulated, it did kind of put a stop to a lot of stupid wars. And the big powers were forced to rebuild at home rather than seek adventure abroad and try to conquer territories which they could no longer afford to keep. It obviously depleted the treasuries of countries that were collecting tax. And the labor force was severely curtailed. Which brought technology to the fore, and it's actually driven technology. Well, you look at this one that we're dealing with at the moment. I mean, the way we're doing this episode of Blind History is only because we're not allowed to be in contact. You're in Cape Town, I'm in Joburg. Normally, we would do an episode in the studio together. That's not possible. And look what technology's forced us to do. Yeah, it shows you. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, in the end, that uh, once again, this is not my area of strength, but the, if there's just no airplanes in the sky. You just think what a difference that must make from pollution levels. You know, there's spinoffs of this which are incredible to see. Yeah, I don't know that there's any one of these that has a happy ending, except that now, of course, we've developed some scientific methods to arrest the spread of these diseases and and to kill the bacteria responsible. And if it's a virus, to sometimes cut down their efficacy with um, vaccines. But obviously, what Fleming did in discovering penicillin was tremendously instrumental in helping us fight bacterial infections and to pasteurize things and to be able to to clear disease out of food, which was also a major source of disease for a lot of people up to then. Yeah, the humans are incredible in overcoming 
you know, all the hiccups in the road that nature throws at us. Well, nature's getting better at it. I mean, Ebola is not to be messed with. And some of the symptoms of that, it just, it basically turns you into a big bag of fluid. And then that fluid leaks out through your eyes, your ears, your nostrils, your backside, pretty much anywhere it can get out. And it's like your whole body turns into a soup. It's disgusting. And you'd have a particularly unpleasant death. And I think we're very lucky that that hasn't spread massively. They're lucky that hasn't turned into a pandemic. Well, that's what we could scrape together for you about the history of pandemics and some of the biggest ones that Anthony and I could find out about. There's obviously plenty more to be discovered, but we thought this is probably the most relevant time to discuss this subject. And um, I found it pretty interesting. I loved it. And it's just so much that we've learned and read about in history where the plagues are so relevant. And now when you look into it, what a massive role it actually played, especially now that we're living it. This is why we study history. We're interested in history because if you study history, you can avoid making some of the same mistakes that people in history did and save yourself a lot of pain and anguish and and learn some lessons pretty quickly through other people's suffering. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's an interesting story about how Isaac Newton, during the the 17th century, when he came up with all of his great theories in Principia Mathematica, he was actually quarantining himself in the countryside, away from other people. And that's when he had some of his best scientific ideas. 